and read down through the end of the chapter and have a word of prayer. So, uh, Ethan, I'm going to kind of put you on the spot here because I forgot to do a missions moment. Why don't you let Micah come up and do a live missions moment during the service? All right. Did he already talk to you about that? There you go. See, that's why I didn't do the missions moment for the bulletin because subconsciously I, I had that in the back of my mind. So, cover my bases. All right. Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 25, the Bible says, And there went great multitudes with him. And he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest happily after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Before I read any further, those verses always remind me when we were in Belarus on a missions trip, there is unfit at the time. There are unfinished buildings everywhere. Like they started to build these houses, and then they were just left in all different in all different stages. I don't know why that was, but these verses always remind me of that. Verse thirty-one: Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand, or else? While the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an embassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt hath lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill. But men cast it out, and he that hath ears to hear, let him hear." Pray, Lord, bless the Bible study this morning. Speak to our hearts through your word and by the Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that we'd be drawn closer to you. Bless the Sunday school classes downstairs. Meet uh, with each young person in a very real and powerful way. You with the teachers as they bring the lessons. Bless the morning worship service to follow. Bless the junior church hour and then the fellowship meal afterwards. That everything that we do and say today bring honor and glory to you, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, on your handout. So understanding the difference between merely following Christ out of interest and committing ourselves as true disciples was a lesson that the apostles needed to learn. And every believer needs to evaluate their heart and lives for weaknesses and their responsibility in being a disciple. A real church has a desire to see its members trained in God's word and then make application to their lives. Then in 3 John chapter 1, the Bible says this. John said, For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee even as thou walkest 
in the truth, and have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. So these are people who came to know Christ as their Savior, and then they began their journey. Like When you receive Christ as your Savior, you begin your faith journey. And um, it should be our desire as a body of believers, when people come to know Christ as their Savior, when they accept Him, that they begin to grow in the faith. And that's what it means to be a disciple, to walk, to walk with the Lord. Now again on your handout. So Jesus at times grew great, drew great multitudes that had come to see for themselves this miracle worker from Galilee. But not everyone in the crowd was a true disciple. In fact, oftentimes when Jesus finished preaching, many left him. And I have one example for you here out of John chapter 6, uh, verses 66 through 67. In fact, even before I read these, you know, when you think about Jesus, his primary goal wasn't to draw a crowd. His primary goal was for people to put their faith and trust in him and, and walk with him and become born again and for them to grow in the faith. You can draw a crowd. There's easy ways to draw a crowd. Um, but the idea is to preach the gospel. And I'm not against big days where we have big crowds and we try to have some kind of a promotion to bring people here. But the goal is always for them to come to know Christ and then for them to walk by faith and to walk in, in the path of the scriptures. But on your handout is John chapter 6, verses 66 through 67. The day before that, this, Jesus had fed the multitudes with a, couple of, a few fish and a few loaves of bread. And there was a great crowd there. In fact, there was so much, there was baskets of food that was left over. And the people were excited about that, that they had been physically fed. But then when Jesus began to talk to them about the, the spiritual aspect of, of being a, a believer, well, that kind of changed th things for them. And uh, in John 6, it says this, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. And then said Jesus unto the twelve, will you also go away also? And so he challenged them. And Jesus challenges us. I mean, life and walking with the Lord on a regular basis, we're challenged to do that. That really one of the purposes, I believe, that Jesus established the church was just for that reason, to on a regular basis for you and I uh, to be challenged by the teaching and preaching of the word of God uh, to continue to be disciples, to walk with the Lord, to follow the Lord. And um, he's right up here, Mrs. Kale, right up front. So, yeah, not your normal spot. He really threw you for a loop there. All right. He, he said to me, I'm going to get spiritual today and sit up front, he said. So, so. <laughs> So that's, uh, that's why we meet. That's why we sit under the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. And uh, Jesus, he challenges them here. And we want to look at some things in these next, these next several verses. So he starts, there's a great multitude with him in verse 25. And, um, and he says this in verse 26. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and the children and the brother and the sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. 
Well, that sounds like pretty strong language, right? When he says words like hate. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But I only have two points to my lesson this morning. And the first is this. If you and I truly are going to be disciples of the Lord, it all begins with our love of the Lord. It's our love for Jesus Christ that will help us to be faithful in our walk. That's what, that's what will, that's the glue, really, that uh, after we get saved, that, that we just fall in love with Christ and uh, who he is and, and what he's done for us and, and why he came and how hopelessly lost all of us were prior to receiving Jesus as our Savior. Um, on your handout, uh, uh, with regards to the local church, Warren Wiersbe, in one of his commentaries, said this. He said, the local church is espoused to Christ, but there is always the danger of that love growing cold. And there's always the danger in your life and in my life of our love of Christ for Christ growing cold. We never have to worry about his love growing cold for us, but we have to worry about our love growing cold. In fact, in Revelation 2.4, which is, I just have the address there in your handout, Revelation 2.4 talks about the church of Ephesus. And they were a great church. But he said, I have somewhat against thee, for thou hast left thy first love. And so we always should be on guard with regards to that, being careful that our love for Christ and being a disciple of the Lord, um, it, just, it just doesn't you just don't get saved and that just doesn't happen. Really being a disciple, being a follower of the Lord, that's, that's your part of it. You have to, you have to uh, and we'll talk about that, these things that I have listed on your handout uh, in these lessons, these are some things that, that you need to think about, meditate, and implement in your life. Um, so, on the back of your handout, this subpoint for you, the love for the master. So you'll notice what he does in verse 26. He gives a comparison with regards to loving him more than you could love your father, your mother, or any of your family members. And he uses that word hate. Well, it's not that word hate that's used there. It's not like the word hate that we would use. Not in the same sense. In fact, it's really, um, it's a Bible idiom. There are many idioms in the Bible. And so uh, the idea behind this word hate, well, I have it on your handout, and, and Jesus is just making this comparison. He's, he's saying this, he said, the love that, will, that, that you need to have for me uh, it would be such that in comparison to the love that you have for a family member, your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brethren, it would be, it's so much different that he's saying it's like one is complete devotion and the other, on the opposite end of the spectrum, it would be like, almost you could describe it as hate. But there are different idioms that, that, that the Lord uses in the Bible and uh, idioms that we use in life that, that, that don't mean necessarily um, the exact, uh, uh, what's the word I'm trying to find? The, uh, or like, for instance, sometimes we use this kind of an idiom. The other day, Aaron, Aaron showed a, a thing on Facebook. It was pouring rain at his house. What's an old saying that sometimes we say? It's raining cats and dogs. Well, no one ever believes that it's literally raining cats and dogs. Amen? 
And so that's an idiom there. There, there are many idioms, by the way, in the Bible that, that we use in, in, in our lives even today. For instance, um, casting the first stone. You know, sometimes people get into an argument. And or because that's that's a Jesus gave that example there with the woman uh, who was taken in adultery. He, he who is without sin cast the first stone. But we use that today, don't we, in a, as a figure of speech? And uh, because the word sometimes that we say is like casting the first stone. Um, I, you might not know this, but the phrase "by the skin of your teeth" is a Bible idiom, a drop in the bucket. That's a Bible idiom. Uh, I don't know, maybe some of you can think of some others that are uh, in the Bible. Um, which in, in the Psalms, I think it's in the Psalms, where it talks about God gathering them with his wings like a hen. No, nobody believes that God's a chicken and uh, he has wings and he's gathering his chicks. But it's a Bible idiom. It gives us an idea of, he's trying to paint, paint a picture here. A wolf in sheep's clothing. It's a Bible idiom. And so this also uh, is a Bible idiom. He's just making this comparison. We're not at liberty, uh, as I said on your handout, to literally, to hate our parents. This would expressly uh, be contrary to the fifth commandment. And then notice on your handout, I have Matthew chapter 10 for you here. Matthew chapter 10 is a parallel scripture um, same account, but it's phrased this way. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So he's just bringing home the point. If you're going to be a, if you're going to be a disciple, then you need to love me greater than any human being that you could ever love. So it's really... I often would, would uh, in premarital counseling, when I would talk to people who are getting married, I would liken it to a triangle. That, uh, and, and this should be the way it works all through life, that you have the husband, you have the wife, but you have to have Christ. And everything, everything is through Christ. And when that's out of sync, then there'll be problems. But life is that way. Christ has to be first. And uh, that's what it means to be a disciple. And Jesus was kind of driving this home. And, um, and I can guarantee you that when there are people who will walk with the Lord for a period of time, but after a while they begin to stop walking with the Lord. And after a while they don't with, walk with the Lord at all. Or they walk and have a very weak walk. Uh, more times than not, it's because their love for Christ, for one reason or another, is not what it once was. And uh, sometimes those people can, can become, uh, they become critical, they become um, bitter or angry, and uh, look for all kinds of reasons not to serve God. Um, and that's, a, that's unfortunate when that happens. But we're warned about it in the Bible, and we need to be mindful of it. So the first thing Jesus does here is he makes a comparison. And that's the comparison. If any man come to me, he's got to hate his father and mother, wife, child, brother, and his own life. He's saying, listen, you have to love me more than you. You have to love me more than you love your own life. I read a, a, 
I read an account from history, it took place in 1685, and about a young woman, a teenage woman, she was 16 years old, her name was Margaret Wilson, from a small town in Scotland. But Margaret was a devout young Christian, she loved the Lord. But she would not, she would not recognize King Charles II as the head of the church. She just wouldn't. She said, he's not the head of the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And so she was arrested. And they took her to the inlet, and they drove a stake into the inlet. And they chained her. As the tide was out, they chained her to that stake. And they told her, she's a 16-year-old kid. So he said, listen, either you swear allegiance to King Charles II, or when the tide comes in, you're going to drown. She says, I'm not going to do it, she said. He's not the head of the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And the tide began to come in. And the people from the town on the shore, they just began to beg her and, 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 and yell to her, please. They said, just, just swear allegiance to the king. So I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And then the water began to rise and the water got higher. And then as the account is told, a soldier went in and uh, there was just enough just enough linkage in the chain where as the water was creeping up to her chin, he could lift her up a little bit higher and he begged her. He says, don't do it, he, she said. Or he said, don't do it. She said, no, I love Jesus more than I love the king. And uh, they, he said, just say, just say God save the king. And I think she said something like, well, I hope that God does save the king, but I'm not going to swear allegiance to the king. Let me down. And she drowned. She drowned. When you hear stories like that, it kind of embarrasses. It should embarrass us sometimes when we want to just quit and, and kind of give up or we get, we get um, turned around the, the wrong way. Because you and I, really, we face very little persecution. Read, I, if you've never read any of Fox's Book of Martyrs, I would, I would challenge you to do that. There's just story after story, historical story of... Of, of people who gave their life for Christ. And uh, the smallest thing will turn people away from following the Lord. It's embarrassing. And, when I, and I get embarrassed of myself sometimes when I get discouraged and feel... I never really came to the point where I just want to throw in the towel. Not, not, not outwardly, but sometimes inwardly. You know, and uh, but that's part of walking with the Lord. So you make these comparisons. Jesus made this comparison. Make comparisons in your own life. What other Christians, even contemporary Christians, have to deal with that we don't have to deal with. But it's just not that when Jesus says what a real disciple is. He doesn't doesn't make this comparison, but it's in also the comprehension of this. He says, again, he said here in, in verse 26, if any man come to me, well, we, come, we, need to, we need to regularly come to the Lord. If any man come to me, okay, coming to, the, to Jesus is, is more than, more than uh, I mean, the, the most important coming to Jesus is when we receive him as our Savior, amen? But you have to come to him on a regular basis if you're going to grow in the faith. I did hear this really... I don't know if you saw it. I saw this on, on uh, 
the internet the other day about this young man who came to Jesus logically. It was kind of interesting. But this guy, he studied all the religions, and he came to this conclusion. I, think, I, think, I hope I can get this right. He said, I'm, so, he said, I studied about Jesus, and then I studied what the Buddhists believe, and then he went through all this uh, Islam. And I, he said, you know, it's interesting, but all of these other religions, they all have their own way, but they all mention Jesus. And they give Jesus some kind of uh, uh, recognition. They just don't recognize him as the son of God. You know, he's a prophet, he's a teacher. Some of these, these Eastern religions says that Jesus, it was the Christ spirit that he had. But he said, well, so all of them recognize Jesus, even though they didn't accept that Jesus was the son of man. So I began to think about that. So then I began to study what Jesus said, because they all liked Jesus. So what did Jesus say? And then Jesus said, well, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So he thought logically, well, they all liked Jesus. They just didn't think he was the son of God. But I came to Jesus because he said, I am the only way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So I said, well, if they like him and they're not against him, and I came to him and he says he's the only way, then he must be the only way. And that's how this, I don't know if that makes sense to you, but it made sense to me. He says, then I began to realize that I've got to put my trust in Jesus. It's kind of a roundabout way to do it, but I don't, you know, who am I to judge? That's the way the Lord brought this guy to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Um, who is it? Uh, Tim Keller that just died. He was a very well-known writer and used of the Lord in a great way. Uh, he, before he came to know Christ, he was into all kinds of philosophies. He, he studied all of these philosophies around the world and came to the conclusion that Christ was the way. So, but that's what it means to be a disciple. You begin to comprehend who Jesus is and why Jesus came. Um, but the, the, you know, the first lapse in our discipleship is when we start to, our love for Christ begins to wane. And we have to recognize that. In Deuteronomy, on your handout, it says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thine soul, and with all thy might. Margaret Wilson, who died at the age of 16, she just loved Jesus with all of her heart. Nothing was going to come in between her and Jesus. And that's something we need to be reminded of. So Jesus brings this, this point to, the, to, to these, this, these multitudes that were there. And often the multitudes would thin out. But then he says this. He says, if you're going to be a disciple, then you need to serve me. And he says in verse 27, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So service for the master means there's going to be some burdens and um, there's a, that, that we bear. Um, There'll be some things that, that we just do because we're disciples. We may not necessarily always like everything that we need to do. If, that's, if, if you're serving Jesus and the only time you're serving Jesus is only doing the things that you like to do and you're never inconvenienced in any way, really, are you bothered? What, you know, it's great that you're doing what you're doing, but... Serving the Lord means there's going to be some times you're inconvenienced. 
that you're putting him first. He's going to put you in positions where you have to put him first. And uh, just to serve him, there's a burden. To bear that life that, that, that comes with following Jesus. Look at on your handout. Look what Paul said here, here. He said in 2 Corinthians 12, And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. The, it's amazing that Paul, and, and as he ministered, uh, ran into such great opposition all the time. People who hated him. But it didn't stop him from serving the Lord. Even Christians that opposed him. But he just didn't throw in the towel and give up. He just kept going. That's, that's what it means to bear the burden. You know, when I, when I read those verses, I will gladly spend and be spent. I think of like a marathon runner. The end of the marathon, they're completely spent. They just barely cross, you know, especially the ones that are, that are the, in the lead or, or trying to win the race. There's just like nothing left at the end. They spent it all. And um, that's what Paul said. He said, the more, the more that I do for you, he said, the less I, I, I'm loved, but I'm just going to keep on spending. So that means you and I need to think about a couple of things. Again, on your handout. In order for that to happen, there has to be a denial of yourself. A denial of self. To be a disciple means Jesus is first. Couple, uh, was it last week? I think it was last week I finished up on uh, Elijah and Elisha. And I kind of asked the question, because Elisha died in the last lesson. And I said, though, when did Elisha really die? And I didn't really articulate that as well as I, I should have. Uh, some of you said, well, when he when basically said, when he put his faith in, in the one true living God. And there's truth to that. When you get saved, you die to, to your sins. But it was I was what I was trying to say it was his time of service. When he really began to serve the Lord. That's when he really died to self. When Elijah came along and Elijah said uh, and challenged him and Elisha wanted to follow. And you remember Elisha had the yoke of oxen and he was plowing in the field and he left the yoke of oxen and uh, he went and said goodbye to his family. They undoubtedly had to have that many yokes of oxen and to be plowing in the field, they, he was probably well off but it was at that moment he just died to self and he just put God first in his life. And that's what I was trying to, to get across last week. And that's what it means to be a disciple. Learning uh, to have a denial of self. To give Christ your all. And that also means a denial then of your self-will. And that's not always easy to do because we all have a strong will that's trying to draw us in one direction or another. But, but Jesus said to this, this crowd here, whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. It means serving the Lord and putting the Lord first. In, in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, it says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives within me. And the life I live Oh, I just forgot how that goes. In the life I live in the flesh, I now live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave his life for me. That's one of the first verses that I ever memorized. Actually, I was, I was, Shelly and I were driving home from, I think, New Jersey, 
And at that time, there was a country western station out of Albany. I don't know if there still is. And we were listening to the radio. But on Sunday nights, they only played gospel country music. So I was, we were listening to that on the way home. And uh, I heard that verse as a brand new Christian. Oh, I like that. Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives within me. And the life I live by the flesh, I now live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and died or gave himself for me. I think the verse goes that way. You just put him first. And so that's what it means to be a disciple. That in my time and in my talent and in my treasures, he's going to be first. And um, Jesus is trying to get this point across. And that's what he's looking for. There's a pursuit of that that takes place on your handout. So he says, come after me. You have to come after me. So he came after us. You know, that's how we get saved. Nobody gets saved. People get saved because Jesus comes to them. He, he, he makes the initial contact. But then after we're saved, after we're born again, we need to follow. Remember what Jesus would say to the disciples, follow me and I will make you what? You fishers of men. But you're not going to be fishers of men, basically Jesus is saying, if you're not going to follow me. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And I have various come-afters on, on, your, on your handout here under the pursuit. We have to study his word. We're commanded to do that. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. Anybody know what that says? 2 Timothy. Most of you probably do. If I, if I help, well, he put it up on the screen. Don't put it up on the screen until I tell you. But there it is. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That means coming after Jesus. Are you studying his word? Are you studying his word? I, I read another story this week about another person who gave their life. His name was John Philpot. He died in, in 1555. Philpot was burned at the stake. That's so foreign to us. They, he was arrested, he was imprisoned. He would not recant. It was uh, the account that I read. It was a cold winter's day. They said, you had no shoes. We'll carry you to your stake. No, no, I'll walk, he said. They, they tied him to the stake. They lit the fire. They said, you recant. He said, no, I won't. The story goes, he quoted as he was being burned alive the entire of Psalm 106, 107, and 108. Not a verse from each chapter. He just recited all three of those chapters. And I wonder how many Christians can recite three verses. Ooh. What if I put you on the spot? And I said, all right, give me three verses. Well, probably just about everyone could give you John 3.16, right? But that's coming after. Coming after. Following the Lord. Memorizing Scripture. Knowing Scripture. Knowing where it is. Uh, taking time. Studying the Word of God. Forget about Scripture. Forget about Scripture. Memorization. 
Are you in God's Word every day? I don't just mean, I mean thinking about what God is saying, letting God speak to you, finding time. It's part of being a disciple. Daily prayer. Scriptures are filled with the admonition to pray. The obedience of his word, being doers of the word, not hearers only. Sharing our faith with those that are around us. This is what disciples do. And then we finish, but there's a price. And he gave some examples here about disciples. Who, who intends to build the tower and doesn't sit, to, sit down first and figure it all out and, and the cost and, and what you're going to need and the materials so that you can finish it? Well, Paul said he was thankful that he had fought a good fight. He had run a good race. He had finished the course. Finish. Got to finish. There's a cost. Or he gives a military example as well. You prepare for battle. There's a cost. There's a cost. We're out of time, but I'll leave you with this one, one example out of the Old Testament about it costs. So David, a man after God's own heart, was enticed by Satan to number Israel. And his counselors around him said, no, 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 don't do that. Don't, don't do that. Because God didn't want him to know how many he had. He didn't want, to put his, he didn't want David to put his, his trust in his armies and his people. And, or David would write some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but I trust in the name of the Lord our God. But David made a mistake. And then he'd sinned, and he was convicted of that sin. It said there, I believe it says in First Chronicles, that Satan stood up and provoked David. Satan's going to stand up and provoke you not to serve the Lord. And he's successful at it. Satan is successful at provoking people to stop serving God. We shouldn't take that lightly. The bat, you've, you, when you received Christ, you've entered into a spiritual battle. And uh, that's what it is. It's, it's warfare. That's um, not going to stop till you get to heaven. We need to be mindful of that. There's a real enemy. So God gave David, uh, there was a, uh, a prophet by the name of Gad, and God said through Gad to David, I'm going to give you th uh, three choices. The first choice will be there will be a, uh, well, I might have these backwards, will allow your foe to attack you for three years. And then there'll also, there'll be, uh, I believe it was pestilence for three months or the hand of the Lord for three days. I don't have the hand of the Lord backwards. I may have the first two backwards. 
And David said, well, if I'm going to be chastised, I'll be chastised not by my enemies or not by pestilence. I'll be chastised by the hand of God. And so for three days, 70,000, because of David's sin, because he didn't follow the Lord, because he allowed Satan to stand up and provoke him, 70,000 men died in Israel. And it's just not 70,000 men who are affected, obviously, by death. The wives, the children, the grandchildren, they're all affected. That's why it's so important to be a disciple of Christ. And so in the end, David was repentive of his actions and God led him to a man by the name of Ornan. And Ornan was threshing wheat and that would be the place where the temple would be built. And uh, David said, uh, he, Ornan was out with his oxen, and, and uh, David said, I, I want this piece of land, and we want to build a sacrifice to the Lord. And Ornan said, you can have the land. I'll give it to you. And I'll, I'll even take the oxen as the sacrifice and uh, all of the wood and materials for the fire. I'll give it to you. And David said something along these lines. He said, no, no. He says, I'll pay for it because... Uh, I don't want anything without a cost. There it is. He's got it up on the screen. And King David said to Ornan, Nay, but I will verily buy it for the full price. For I'll not take anything which is thine for the Lord, nor offer burnt offering without a cost. So let me just finish with this. Listen. Truly, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, at some point, if you are following Christ, there's going to be a cost. It's going to cost you something. It's just the way that it's always been. It may not be, I told you, these two stories from history about these people hundreds of years ago that lost their lives, but I can guarantee you that today, somewhere in the world, today, right now, as we sit here, there'll be a Christian losing his or her life for the cause of Christ. It's just the world we live in. I've read some that have said more people have given their life for the cause of Christ in the last hundred years than they have in the previous 1900 years. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. You read things like from the Voice of the Martyrs and some of the other groups. But somewhere in the world. So I'm just challenging you as, as Christians. Be a disciple. Be a disciple. Put your time in. Serve God in church, serve God at home, at work, your Bible reading, your prayer life, your witnessing. That's the challenge Jesus gave 2,000 years ago. If any man come unto me, you've got to love me more than your father, your mother, your wife. You've got to put me first. You've got to bear your cross. You need to come after me or else you're not really the disciple that I'm looking for. Because in the end, well, let's just read the conclusion. The, gl the glad reality is that through Christ, though Christ demands that we give him our all, he gives back so much more in return. Though there are to be burdens and challenges to bear, he promises that we'll not have to bear them alone. The call to discipleship is a call to a deeper love, a stronger devotion, and a surrender to Christ. That's a constant challenge that you'll have for your whole life. It's just kind of easy to get into this whole casual Christianity. 
fact, you see a lot of it really prevailing today. And it's kind of worrisome, honestly, for, for me as a person who's been at this now for over 40 years. It's just this casual kind of Christianity. I don't mean to be a downer. I'm just trying to challenge you to be a disciple of Christ. Let's pray. Father, bless the morning worship service. Let it bring honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.